A shorthanded chance. Yenmark down the middle. Scores! Matias Yenmark, shorthanded goal. From the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios and live at LVSportsNetwork.com. Puck comes out high. Watt gets the puck off to the races. Into the zone. The righty. Right circle. Backhander. He scores! What a move! Nicholas Watt gets the Knights back in the lead. This is the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Your destination for inside access with the team. Exclusive player interviews and breaking news from around the National Hockey League. Here are your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Welcome in Vegas. School the Knights Insider Show, Fox Sports Las Vegas. Ryan Wallace, Chris Chapman, live inside the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios. Finley Chevrolet on the 215, home of the... And here we are, a mere 48 hours after it started. It is concluded. It is done. The NHL entry draft, the 2022 NHL entry draft is over, and the Vegas Golden Knights have made their selections in the draft. To break it all down, we're going to talk with Ben Goats in just a few minutes. We're also going to look at a little bit of goaltending controversy in Minnesota. I know, I know, it sounds crazy, but there's a storm brewing for the Minnesota Wild, Marc-Andre Fleury, Cam Talbot, and GM Bill Guerin. It led to some phenomenal quotes coming out of the draft from Bill Guerin. We're going to get to that. We are also going to look at the NHL's schedule for 2022-23, what it's going to mean for the Golden Knights, the important dates that you're going to want to circle on your calendar if you are a Golden Knights fan, more so for the story. Not so much for the hockey, but more so for the storylines that are going to be going into each of those specific games. And then, of course, we've got one-timers that's going to heavily, heavily focus on what has happened at the draft, including a goaltending carousel of sorts with some guys staying put, some guys being traded, and examining a little bit deeper what the goaltending market's going to look like when free agency opens on Wednesday. That's right, we are so close to free agency, so close to the actual NHL offseason. But before we get there, we have a lot to break down from today, including the Golden Knights draft selections. And to help us do that, we bring in Ben Goats with the Las Vegas Review Journal. Hey, Ben, I know it's probably been a whirlwind couple of days, but... How are you doing in the aftermath of the 2022 NHL entry draft? I mean, I'm energized. I'm, like, ready to go still. It's still light outside. The draft has been over for hours. <laughs> it's crazy. Obviously, last year's, like, virtual draft, mm-hmm. especially on day two, kind of dragged. But today, we're back to in-person. Everyone had their flights to catch, and bing, bang, boom, we were zooming through picks throughout this day. Mm-hmm. It was constantly moving. So, man, I was, I was pumped. I was feeding off the energy uh, through my TV that seemed to be in the Montreal draft room. I was pumped up, ready to go. So I want to rewind the clock a moment to yesterday. And, of course, it, it was a live draft 
first time in, in almost three years. It was an opportunity for the game to have another one of those uh, benchmarks that you check off in the return to normalcy. Like, How did you take the opening moments of the draft, the, the, the heat from the crowd, Gary Bettman doing his best to lean into being booed? Like, How did you enjoy the first 15, 20 minutes of, of seeing the crowd, seeing the spectacle of the draft in person? It was great to have that energy back, especially uh, in yeah. Montreal, where obviously the hype was so enormous for that first overall pick. I thought it was incredibly uh, funny, first of all, where Gary Bettman's trying to calm down the crowd from booing him because they are about <laughs> to honor Mike Bossy and Key Lafleur, And he's like, no, no, you guys don't want to boo me for this. I promise. That was fantastic. Uh, Martin St. Louis pumping up the crowd was awesome. It's so fascinating to see the connection that he has already developed in that city, despite being behind the bench there for less than half a season. And I'm curious how long the good vibes kind of last there. If the rebuild goes on as long as expected in Montreal, uh, but it was mm. you know really cool to have that back. I think, you know, you talk to a lot of kind of general managers and people involved in scouting around the game they really liked the virtual experience because they got to kind of hunker down with their own crews. They got to kind of have their laptops open, go through their draft board and stuff, and not have to worry about, you know, someone kind of sneaking by their table and sneaking a peek at who they're targeting <laughs> or anything like that. So they liked kind of conferencing in their own, you know, little war rooms. But I think the energy that the crowd in Montreal brought uh, made the event so much better, made it so much more of a spectacle. And like I said, I thought it was fantastic today when you're just like zipping through the different tables and you've got different scouts quickly stepping uh, to the microphone before they got to move on to the next pick because everyone's just ready to run through this thing and then get out of town. So the the aspect of the draft that I most enjoyed coming back, making a renaissance here, a resurgence of sorts, was... Uh, the tweets, right? You, The insiders, they're all there. They're all observing what's happening on the floor. And it's the tweets of Kyle Dubas and Bill Guerin are having a conversation. And ordinarily speaking, that conversation, you have no idea what the context is. You have no idea if they're discussing a trade or if they're just saying hello. But the fact of the matter is every single interaction on the draft floor is a story. It's tweeted about and it leads to at least six or seven of the same tweet from the insiders hitting my timeline. And boy, did it feel good to have that back. It's so good. And if I were a general manager, especially if I were Joe Sackick, and I only had a sixth and a seventh round pick in this draft, not that he's mm -hmm. complaining, by the way, I would make sure to make <laughs> the rounds to every single table uh, because I'm not doing anything for a while here just to make sure I get everyone all up in a tizzy to find out, you know, where I'm trading the rights <laughs> to Darcy Kemper to at this point. Obviously the Knights could have done that uh, yesterday as well. They were pretty active and busy today, but Hey, Kelly McCrimmon, George McPhee, you don't have a first round pick in this year's draft. Mm -hmm. Why don't you rub elbows a little bit just to see how many firestorms you can create on social media before people realize that you're just comparing the number of hot dogs you all ate uh, in the press box food line. <laughs> 
So let's get to the Golden Knights day. We'll we'll put a pin in Joe Sackick and Darcy Kemper because there's a story there to talk about as well. Uh, but it was an active day one of the draft. The first round saw a lot of different trades. But really, for, for us here on the VGK Insider Show, we care mostly about what happened today for the Vegas Golden Knights in drafting six players between rounds two through seven. Uh, we'll start at the beginning, second round, 48th pick, Matthias Sapovalev. Uh, I'm going to butcher all of these names at some point, but you know we're, we're getting there. And hopefully we're going to get our eyes on these prospects as, long, as well as some of the other Golden Knights prospects next week at development camp. But Matthias Sapovalev from the Saginaw spirit of the OHL, uh, a center iceman, big, Defensively responsible center, skill, good hands for his size. Skating's kind of the question mark with him. But, you know, when you look at that first pick, if it jumps out to me as if the Golden Knights had a type, it would be him. Right. It's Nick Waugh, right? Like, that's what it feels right, like we're yeah. describing when we're describing Matias Sapovalov is that that's kind of the prototype of what he can hopefully, you know, build into where he can be. You know, an excellent fourth-line center could potentially play up in the lineup, especially if that skating comes around. But he is going to be able to potentially play in all situations. He has really good hands for a guy with his kind of size and can play all over the ice. Uh, it'll just be interesting to see kind of how that skating rounds out. It's not like it's um, bad or anything. It just has a lot of room to improve, especially with, a, you know, a guy – that kind of size, uh, you know, Knights, you know, assistant uh, director of player personnel, Bob Lowe, did talk about they think that there is definitely room for that skating to improve as he gets stronger. They also think part of the reason his skating got knocked so much this past season is it was his first, first in North America. So he's, A, adjusting to a new ice sheet. Uh, B, he's playing more games than kind of he ever has before. So maybe he's getting tired, uh, especially because he was playing about 22 minutes a night uh, for the Saginaw Spirit in the Ontario Hockey League. So he was playing a lot of minutes, a lot of games, and I think that might have kind of affected a hitch in his giddy-up at time where he just kind of got worn down because he was relied upon so much for his club uh, because he was able to play power play, penalty kill, and obviously, of course, uh, five on five. Uh, so they think as he kind of moves through his career and specifically as they're able to you know, add more strength to his frame and he fills out, a little bit more, that'll be less of an issue. But I do think that'll be kind of the determining factor uh, what his ultimate uh, upside ends up being, whether he can you know, get up to where he becomes a potentially good third-line center and then even if he can uh, grow beyond that. But for right now, I think you're looking at a guy that you'd be very excited to have you know, slotting in as a good uh, fourth-line center. And I think Nick Waugh is kind of an excellent um, comparable uh, he also likes to compare himself to his uh, fellow Czech player, uh, Tomas Hurdle of the San Jose Sharks. Yep. Yeah, not a bad comparison. Uh, you, you mentioned the quote from from Assistant Director of Player Personnel Bob Lowe's, and I, I thought it was an interesting one in that the skating, it's not a technique thing, right? Like, it's not that he's got a, a bad stride or anything like that. It's it's a strength and probably a strength endurance type of situation where if you get the player on that proper development wave, if you're able to build and bring in uh, the leg strength to kind of build up and and, and – withstand the rigors of you know 
15 to 20 minutes uh, of of hockey action at the NHL level, then you you got something there. So to me, it, it's not so much a a technique issue with the skating; it's just bringing along and developing that strength curve. Right, and it's not kind of an overall functional uh, athleticism thing either. That's Pablo's kind of made that clear. Like mm-hmm. they've got you know obviously sports science people, skills coaches that they all look at these prospects, <laughs> especially at the NHL draft combine. And so what they kind of felt was like, he's plenty athletic. It's not like that's the issue. Um, Like you said, it's more just based on kind of strength and then overall um, endurance. And as he moves through his career, you know, obviously there are very few forwards that are playing, you know, 22 minutes a night at the NHL level. So they feel like once that gets kind of reined back in terms of his role, and obviously they add the strength on there that it's going to work out fine and that he'll end up being, you know, a pretty good value pick at 48 it sounds like they were pretty happy to get him at the range that they did so the second selection in the draft for the golden knights in the third round 79th pick it's jordan gustafson a center from the seattle thunderbirds of the uh, western hockey league 58 games 23 goals 29 assists 52 points and the golden knights actually traded up to select Jordan Gustafson. Uh, they traded the 95th and the 135th pick to Toronto to move up to 79 to select Gustafson. Uh, you talk about speed and puck skills, a little undersized, but has a good release on his shot. Uh, this is one of those players that when you see the drafting of a, of a player that's got a good release, that's got a little bit of speed, you start to think about, uh, you know, can they make that jump and can that game translate at the NHL level where they're a productive player? Right. I think the key with him is like one, he's got to add a little bit more offense to his game, you know, at his size right now, he's not quite, you know, overtly offensively skilled enough to make you super confident that he has a chance to kind of really make an impact at the next level. So if he can build on some of his skills like that, that would give him another chance. Uh, the other interesting thing about him that Bob Lowe mentioned is that he's 5'10", so he's not very big right now. But they're hoping that he can still grow even moving forward here, which would obviously help his projection a lot. Uh, Gustafson's uh, older brother, Blake, uh, actually grew four inches between you know getting drafted as a Bantam <laughs> into the WHL in 2017 yeah. to where he is now, to where now uh, his older brother, Blake, is six foot three. So if we're talking... You know, Gustafson having the potential to add, you know, another two or three inches here, that obviously does wonders if you're projecting him out in another couple of years. So they think, you know, based on just kind of the family history here, that they think there's a chance at least that he's going to still add to his frame. If so, that kind of kind of changes the complexion of how uh, you look at him moving forward in terms of if he's now all of a sudden a guy who's got that speed, that two-way ability, and some of those skills with a bigger body, you're talking about a much different player potentially moving forward. So we'll go to the third selection, which came in the fourth round, 128th overall. It's a goaltender Cameron Whitehead of the Lincoln Stars in the USHL. Listen, the Golden Knights traded a, a 2023 draft pick to acquire this 128th pick from the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, the stats on Whitehead are not going to jump out at you at all. It's 16, 8, and 4, 319 goals against average, and an 892 save percentage. The, the thing with goalies, though, like as I'm looking at this, as I'm understanding and, and kind of viewing the last two years or so, uh, goaltenders lost games. They lost games in that prime development window. So when I'm looking at a goalie selected, I, I'm looking at 
What are the raw skills that they have, and how do I see that kind of projecting over time now that there is going to be more games, more games, more games? And I like the size. I like the athleticism with Cameron Whitehead. Right, especially because you have to project these goalies out so far, right? Like, you are not looking at Cameron Whitehead even getting to Henderson for a number of years now. Um, He's going to play another year of junior hockey uh, next year in Lincoln. Then he's committed to Northeastern University to start the 2023-2024 season. You're probably looking at at least like two or three years in college for him. So he's got a lot of time to kind of develop before the Knights can really get a handle on what they had here. But like you said, there are obviously things to like when you are projecting out. He's six foot three, so he's big. He has enough athleticism where you can, you know, see him going post to post and stuff and Mm -hmm. getting through that way. There'll just be questions of as he kind of continues to progress, how's that rebound control? How's his puck handling going to come along? How is he going to kind of manage a game and manage the ups and downs that obviously come with playing the position? All things that, you know, young goalies have to go through uh, as they mature. But obviously, if you're, you know, picking a guy to kind of project out, he has a lot to work with. It's just going to obviously take a while for the Knights to kind of ultimately determine what they have in him because he's still got quite a bit of a you know development curve ahead looking forward. Yeah, and to be fair, like when you look at the Golden Knights right now, as far as goaltending goes, you've got your your strict understanding of who's playing, who's going to be on the NHL roster for probably the next three to four years, and then you've got quite a pipeline. You've got Isaiah Seville, you've got Yuri Patera, you've got Logan Thompson, Dylan Ferguson. Like this is a a goaltending. Uh, organizational depth chart that looks very good and it also provides a lot of time for Cameron Whitehead to grow into his game and see where that that takes him. Which is good, right? Because goalies do need time. It's not like a Cameron Whitehead thing yeah. that he has along development curve. It's just a goaltending in general thing. It's a hard position to play. It's a hard position to master and it's a hard position to just kind of mentally get all the experience that you need to accumulate so that you know when you get on a big stage and you let in a bad goal that you kind of get right back, you know, to your good techniques, your good mechanics, and all that stuff. That just takes time to learn. It's why we see a lot of late breakouts, like a guy like Logan Thompson have a good rookie season at 24 years old. A lot of times goaltenders uh, can be late bloomers, so it's obviously no knock on uh, Cameron Whitehead that this might uh, take him a little bit, but it just will require some patience for him to get to the point where the Knights are obviously considering, you know, how he's going to impact them at both the AHL and NHL level. Ben Goats with the Las Vegas Review Journal joining us here as we break down each selection for the Vegas Golden Knights in today's rounds two through seven of the NHL entry draft. We're going to the fifth round, 145th pick overall. Patrick Gay, center from the Charlottetown Islanders of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Uh, okay, this stat line's awesome. I'm, I'm like, I'm enamored with the stat line. And like, listen, I get it. They don't really play defense in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. I don't care. I'm enamored with the stat line, Ben. 68 games, 55 goals, 104 points. On top of that, 13 goals, 15 assists, 28 points in 15 games in the playoffs. I just gravitate toward fun, offensively skilled players, and that's what it looks like the Golden Knights are taking a chance on here. Yeah, obviously a smaller guy, but just so many offensive skills here. Obviously, 
even though it's yeah the Quebec League, you don't put up that many points by accident. Um, in addition to just kind of the overall skill package in that line, uh, I just love kind of the story behind this too because you know what Bob Lowe is talking about is basically you know nice amateur scout uh, Raphael Pouliot is swinging by the Charlotte Town Islanders because the Knights have had a couple picks from them the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Lucas yep. Cormier, potentially their best defensive yep. prospect in the 2020 draft. Last year they take. Jakob Robanek, who actually was the Q uh, Rookie of the Year in last year's draft. And so they're just kind of checking in, seeing how their guy's doing. And basically this five foot nine center, whirling dervish of a player just kind of completely takes their <laughs> attention away to the point where now they're taking him in the fifth round of this year's draft. Uh, I'm fascinated to see how he looks uh, when he gets to development camp and kind of what stands out about him. Obviously, you know, whenever you're talking about a older smaller prospects there are some things that you're just going to have questions about how it translates up uh to higher levels but it definitely seems like a fun kind of player a fun kind of pick and i'm like i said just fascinated by his story his stat line and ultimately what he's going to look like you know put up against a bunch of other you know recent golden knights draft picks potentially next week yeah, it'll be fun. Like I, I, I'm getting really excited now for development camp. I'm not going to lie, uh, and specifically to see what Patrick Gay is going to look like as he gets uh, the the competition within the organization and his first look as first and our first look at, at him as well. So sixth round, one hundred and seventy seventh pick, Ben Hemmerling, right winger uh, of the Everett Silver Tips in the Western Hockey League. Uh, you know, not a gaudy stat line, 47 points, 10 goals, and 57 games. Uh, it's skating, it's skill, it's playmaking. Um, you know, for me, when it comes to these late-round picks, it's not so much a talent thing, it's a development thing. And, you know, if you believe in the Golden Knights' ability to develop talent, then you can find a diamond in the rough in these later rounds. Right, you're just trying to take a swing on a guy who has a couple skills that you like and that you think, you know, ultimately you can hope to uh, project out to a potentially NHL player. That's all you're really hoping for uh, with these late-round picks. And obviously, Ben Hemmerling, besides just an awesome first name, uh, has some things that you can at least get excited about. I think he's got some really good uh, skating. I think he's got at least enough skill to keep you intrigued. He is on the smaller side at five foot ten, but... It's at least worth a guy that you can take a flyer on, see how that develops, see if that burst really keeps improving, potentially keeps impressing you. And so he's at least got one kind of standout trait that you can build upon moving forward, and then it's up to him to see if he can round out the tool package enough in the next couple of years in the Western Hockey League where he really catches your attention when he's ready to leave juniors. And then the seventh round, 209th pick, rounding everything out, it's Abram Weeby, a left-hand defenseman from the Chilliwack Chiefs of the British Columbia Hockey League. Uh, this one to me is interesting because uh, there's there's certain buzzwords when it comes to defensemen that I'm really clued in on. Creativity as a puck handler, as a passer, like that to me screams, okay, you know that you're going to get some creative looks on a breakout. You know that there's going to be some risk there in the game, but if it works out and if the confidence is there, it's something to kind of work with. And then obviously seams in the offensive zone. Those to me are things that I'm looking at and saying, okay, again, 
You're taking a flyer. You're hoping to, to, to develop, and you're hoping to hone in on those individual skills that make these players so good and build it to the point where they can be NHL contributors. Uh, to me, this was an interesting pick uh, on, the, on the defensive side for the Golden Knights. Yeah, whenever someone drops the name Zach Whitecloud, right, you pay attention. That's what Bob mm-hmm. Lowe did when kind of mm-hmm. talking about this pick of, like, they thought that Abram Wiebe is a late-developing kind of player, and they kind of viewed his developmental curve similar as they did to a Zach Whitecloud, who, of course, was undrafted, went to college at Bemidji State, and then after his sophomore year signed with the Knights as a college free agent, has worked out pretty okay. And so what they thought with Abram Wiebe is that maybe there's something similar we can work with here where he's going to go back to the British Columbia Hockey League for another year. Then after that, he's going to go to North Dakota. So he's going to take more time than some of these other prospects. But we think there's at least a slight chance that if we wait this out, that there might be something there for us at the end. He's got size to work with. He's got some strength. He's a decent enough skater where you can feel good about kind of the overall package of tools there. It'll be interesting to see if he can add enough offensive game where he really gets you interested as to what he could do at the next level. Obviously, whenever you score just two goals kind of as, you know, an older player in junior hockey, that at least raises some questions about what that ultimate ceiling is going to be. But if he can attack the league going back next year and improve that and then make a nice jump, in a very good collegiate program in North Dakota, which as a University of Minnesota alumnus pains me to say that uh, out loud, uh, <laughs> then you can start getting intrigued by the developmental package there. But it definitely seems like, you know, if they're talking about we think he might have a Zach White cloud curve. That at least piques my interest enough where I'll be following him moving forward here. So three centers, a winger, a goaltender, and a defenseman. That's how it breaks down positionally for the Golden Knights. Uh, overall, like, what are you left thinking after these selections from Vegas when it, came, when it comes to this draft? Yeah, I think it was interesting they went out and really addressed uh, their forward depth in this draft. Uh, mm-hmm. I asked Bob Lowe about that, and he basically just said, look, a lot of defensemen went high, and so in these kind of middle rounds where we're picking – we just thought a lot of forwards had value, and so I thought that was you know intriguing that they continued to add. The Knights have now taken a center with their first pick in a draft, uh, five out of six years, the lone exception being in 2020 when they took Brendan Brisson with their first pick, so they clearly value building up the middle. Um, so if you know um, Matias Sapovalov ends up you know developing into a future Nick Waugh and you can get uh, Jordan Gustafson to fill out and be kind of an intriguing bottom six piece. I think with the Knights, because you enter this draft without a first round pick, you're ending up uh, feeling pretty good about the work you did uh, this weekend in Montreal. And then we'll see if any of the other guys you kind of took flyers on end up panning out. Um, but I think for what the Knights entered this draft with and then how they use that to kind of address the forward depth in their organization, you know, it seems to make a lot of sense as to how they approached it. Will it work out? Who knows? We're going to have to check back in like three to five years. But at least the kind of thought <laughs> process and the organizational needs they addressed, it seems like they did checks and boxes in Montreal. Yeah, I agree with you. I think organizationally speaking, you look at kind of the depth chart when it comes to 
forward groupings, at least that next wave, uh, you needed to replenish. You, you utilized a lot of draft capital, draft assets to supplement a team that is in win-now mode, and you've got to replenish that as best you can. It hurts not having a first-round pick, but for all intents and purposes, if the Golden Knights can kind of continue to develop not just these players here that they selected in this draft, but everyone else that's within the pipeline, then you know you, you either insert those players into your NHL team when ready, or you flip them for assets to to really go all in to win a Stanley Cup because that's the ultimate goal for the Golden Knights. And I would I would argue they're in a better spot now than they were going into the draft. No, absolutely. And it's good to fill out that forward pipeline, especially because they've traded so many guys away, as you mentioned, yeah. from previous drafts which is not necessarily a bad thing. As you said, part of drafting and developing a pipeline is flipping those guys for assets when you think it's appropriate. It doesn't always have to be purely draft and develop. Flipping is part of the game, and the Knights have obviously done that uh, throughout their history. So now they kind of backfill a little bit because they've graduated quite a few guys in the last couple of years. It seems pretty likely that at some point uh, this upcoming season that guys like Ivan Morozov and Brendan Brisson have a chance to graduate as well, so you might lose those guys out of the pipeline in the next year. So now at least you have some talent that is there to kind of fill in those gaps once those guys get um, moved up to the next level. Maybe they won't be able to quite fill those shoes to the same kind of talent level because these guys were taken a little bit later in the draft, but you at least have something there if you're the Golden Knights and the foundation is at least not completely crumbling underneath you. So... I think, like I said, this ends up making you know a lot of sense, and the organization is kind of still with a pipeline, you know, despite the fact that they have been going for it and have been in win now mode for basically their entire existence. Uh, their pipeline is still nowhere near as bereft as you would find in a lot of other organizations. So let's let's talk about other organizations because this is a fascinating one for me. I just want to get your thoughts on Chicago and and the last twenty four hours for Chicago Blackhawk fans because. Frankly, I I don't know that I view how to do a rebuild the same way uh, that that Kyle Davidson does. Or I, like, what am, what am I missing here? Why do you trade Alex DeBrinket? Why do you trade Kirby Doc? Why do you move on from twenty four year old and twenty one year old players if you're entering a full on tear it down rebuild? Yeah, so I this is the part where I think that sometimes teams view things as like too black and white of like we're either going for it <laughs> or we're rebuilding. And I think there's like a mushy middle there that a lot of teams just ignore, but in the NHL has like proven that can be successful and that you don't necessarily have to like air and enter a barren wasteland for like five years and then you come out of it and everything's <laughs> hunky-dory. You can like kind of play both sides of it. And in the NHL, that hasn't like necessarily been the worst thing. I look at a team like Minnesota, which did that for a while. And when they wanted to reset, they were basically bad for a year. Added Kirill Kaprizov, and boom, off you go. Uh, Dallas has, I think, been kind of famous for playing it on both sides of the fence to like some people's chagrin. But hey, they've made the most of a lot of their recent first-round picks, not all of which were very high picks. And it looks like they're now in a great spot organizationally for the next however many years with like the Jason Robertson's mm-hmm. Miro Heiskanen, who was you know kind of the lone high pick of that and Jake Ottinger's of the world for the foreseeable future. So I don't like when teams like feel like they have to like absolutely 100% uh, 
bottom out just for like the most ping pong balls in the lottery when in the NHL your odds aren't even that high. I don't know if you're Chicago why you would give up on Alex Dabrinkit when signing him to a long-term deal still makes a perfect amount of sense uh, for the Chicago mm-hmm. Blackhawks. Even by the time that deal is expired, I think they'll be in their winning window by that point. And Alex Dabrinkit is a guy who I think could still be very, very good and very productive uh, into his early 30s. Uh, Kirby Dock, I'm at least willing to entertain because I think Frank Nazar, who they got from the U.S. National Team Development Program, is a pretty good prospect. So I'm kind of fine with how that one ultimately worked out. But uh, overall, I just don't accept the kind of paradigm that Chicago seems to be working off here, which is you either have to be really, really good or really, really bad. I think that, mm-hmm. you know, oftentimes these things aren't as like simple or clear cut as we would like them to be. And I think there was a different way for Chicago to approach it that didn't involve them going like complete scorched earth on the bit. And not to mention the fact that like, the Chicago Blackhawks certainly had an idea of trying to weaponize their cap space as much as possible as evidenced by taking on the contract of, of Peter Morazic and, and, you know, all that. But then, you know, when, with, with Duncan Keith retiring cap recapture, like whatever they saved by moving on from Alex to essentially gets put back on the books with Duncan Keith retiring. Like to me, I I just I think the world of Debrinket as a player. You're talking about a two-time 40 goal scorer at the age of 24. Leadership intangibles there. That was your next guy. That was your next captain. Like that was the guy you put the C on when you trade Jonathan Taves because you absolutely should do that if you're Chicago looking to retool or rebuild. And yet now you've essentially moved on from the actual bridge between what was and what's to be. Right, and the whole point of like doing this rebuild is obviously to get high draft picks that turn into good young players who, you know, in your dream <laughs> of dreams, would turn into a two-time 40-goal scorer by the time they're 24 <laughs> in Alex Dabrinkit. Like, it's really hard to get that kind of player. This reminds me of, like, when the, you know, Boston Red Sox traded Mookie Betts to the Los Angeles Dodgers and everyone was going, like, the whole reason you do this whole thing is to get a Mookie bet. Just like I would argue the same thing for like you do this to get an Alex to bring it and you already have him and now you're giving him away. You just made things so much harder on yourself if you're Chicago. And that's what I kind of view this whole rebuild from them of like they're starting so much from scratch. They obviously were able to get three first round picks this year which is good because they started with zero, so at least they're in a better spot there. But they're so talent poor that it's going to take so long for them to get to a place where they're even going to be competitive again because it sounds like they're basically just going to let Dylan Strom and uh, Dominique Kubalik walk uh, their RFAs, but it doesn't sound like they're going to qualify them. So that's more young talent out the door. Uh, like so They already flipped Kirby Dock, a 21-year-old former third overall pick from just a couple years ago. Uh, they are not only just starting from zero, it seems like they are starting from like the negatives with all the you know guys <laughs> that they have taken out of their system. Uh, I just feel bad for uh, those fans that it's just going to be bleak, bleak, bleak at United Center for, I think, a very long time. All right, Ben. Well, we have kept you 
significantly longer than we probably should. We've gone way over. Um, so, you know, to, for me, I, I appreciate you jumping on here, going as in-depth as we did on the draft picks for the Vegas Golden Knights, and also spending a little bit of time talking about the um, curious 24 hours in the Chicago Blackhawks uh, draft history. So, uh, Ben, where can people follow you on social? Where can they find your stuff as we get as we change gears, shift focus from the draft into development camp and then free agency? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Ben S. Goats, G-O-T-Z. You can check out all my written work at ReviewJournal.com. I kind of post a draft story with uh, all the quotes from the Zoom call uh, with Bob Lowe's. It's already up on the website, so you can check that out. And I will, of course, have stuff from Development Camp uh, pretty much all of next week. And then uh, we'll have stuff midweek once free agency gets going as well. So it should be an interesting one. Great stuff, as always. That's Ben Goats with the Las Vegas Review Journal. Check him out. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter and read his articles. They're good. You're not going to complain. You're going to be smarter for it. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Bill Guerin, Cam Talbot, Marc-Andre Fleury, and the goaltending controversy that has erupted in Minnesota. We're back to the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. Big thanks to Ben Goats for spending 35 minutes with us at the top of the hour, top of the show, to bring you his insight into the Golden Knights draft class in 2022. Once again, we'll just kind of reiterate where the Golden Knights went today with their selection. Second round, 48th pick, Matias Sapovalov. Again, it's going to take a minute for me to get that name down, Sapovalov. But to me, like it, this is a this is as as Ben put it, it's it's a Nikwa proxy. If you can get this player to develop into what Nikwa is right now, from a timeline perspective, it's going to give you depth. Down the middle, third round, 79th pick, Jordan Gustafson, a center uh, from the Seattle Thunderbirds, 23 goals in 58 games. You like the speed, you like the puck skills, you like the release. Uh, Good stuff there from the Golden Knights, fourth round, 128th pick overall. Goaltender Cameron Whitehead. Stats aren't going to jump out at you, but goaltenders take time, and Cameron Whitehead within this organization is going to have nothing but time to continue to grow and develop and bring his game to the next level. Fifth round, 145th pick, Patrick Gay, center, Charlottetown Islanders, Quebec Major Junior Hockey, 68 games, 55 goals, 104 points. Again, I'm I'm, I'm looking at the goals, I'm looking at the points. Instincts offensively make me happy. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of this pick for the Golden Knights. Sixth round, 177th overall, Ben Hemmerling, a right winger uh, from the Everett Silvertips of the Western Hockey League. It, it's playmaking, it's skill, it's, it's skating. And, and, you know, for me, like, when it comes to the NHL, if you can skate and you can skate well, you're going to be able to find yourself a fit. And, and again, it, it's not so much just individual players and, and where you see them fitting on this team. If we've learned anything from the Golden Knights over the first five years of existence going into year number six now, it's that draft capital helps you on the ice, right? But it also helps you in landing 
pieces you need right now in this moment to be uh, a team that's a contender. If, if not for the Golden Knights draft capital, you're not looking at a roster that has Mark Stone. You're not looking at a roster that has Max Pacioretty or Jack Eichel. The ability to draft and develop players, it's not so much about the players fitting into or plugging into this team in general. It's how they they work within the bigger infrastructure of trades, deals, and doing what's necessary at the right time for your team in order to compete. And then we go to the seventh round, 209th pick overall, Abram Wiebe, a left-hand shot defenseman from the Chilliwack Chiefs of the British Columbia Hockey League. So again, to recap, it's three centers, one winger, a goaltender, and a defenseman. The six picks this year for the Vegas Golden Knights in the draft. And as we talked about with Ben and what makes a lot of sense, when you do flip prospects for players that are NHL caliber players that are in your lineup that you are counting on to go for it as it were, uh, you need to replenish the cupboard. And for the Golden Knights, it was a tougher task to do so when you don't have a first-round pick. But given what the Golden Knights were working with in this draft, I'm leaving this one feeling pretty good and excited for development camp, which will be next week. And, you know, development camp is going to be interesting because we get an opportunity to look at a lot of players that we haven't had a chance to put our eyes on just yet. Now, development camp, this is kind of the breakdown of what the schedule is going to look like. It'll get started on Monday, July 11th. We're looking at uh, a couple of practices, 2.15, 4.15 p.m. on Monday. Uh, the, 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 the prospects are going to be divided into two teams. There'll be one practice for Team Red at 2.15, one practice for Team White at 4.15. Then you're going to have a whole day on Tuesday. Practice starts at 9.30 a.m., and there will be uh, multiple opportunities. you got 9.30, 11.15, 3 p.m., and 5.15 p.m., so it's a full slate, a double-duty day on Tuesday, July 12th at City National Arena. Then there's going to be uh, a charity event on July 13th, so no practice that day. And then... What everyone's really excited about when it comes to development camp, I know I am, I'm sure Chris Chapman's the same, uh, you're going to start the scrimmages on Thursday, July 14th. They'll be practiced in the morning, scrimmage at 3.15 on Thursday, July 14th, scrimmage at 10 a.m. on July 15th, and rounding out development camp Saturday, July 16th, a joint scrimmage at 10.15 a.m. So that's the breakdown, full breakdown of Golden Knights Development Camp. It's going to be really fun. I, I cannot wait. I, I genuinely cannot wait for Development Camp to get our eyes on some of the prospects taken today in the draft by the Golden Knights and some of the prospects we, frankly, have not had a real chance to look at, a real chance to see. And, and you know, once we get kind of a, a firmed-up roster of who will be at Development Camp, we'll pass that along to you. Uh, don't have that as it stands right now, but... I can't I can't stress enough how important it is and all of these practices, all these scrimmages will be open to the public, so make sure you get down to City National Arena to check all this out because you're gonna wanna put eyes on these players yourself. You're going to wanna see where the skill kind of flashes at you. And when you view development camp, I don't want you know you to you to view it because or, or through the lens of these players are going to make the NHL tomorrow. The likelihood of that happening uh, are few and far between. It's not going to happen overnight. But 
you will, in viewing development camps, specifically in the scrimmages, see where some guys excel and see where some guys have troubles or gaps in their game that they can expand upon, that they can get better at, that should translate at the NHL level. Skill, skating, shot, release, all of those things are the, are the things you're going to want to really hone in on when you're watching development camp, and you're going to get an opportunity to do that six days coming at you on Monday. We're going to take a break, reset the hour, look ahead to hour number two right here on the VGK Insider Show. But before we do that, before we go, I want to give away tickets to the battle for Vegas. It'll be on July 16th, Monday. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's a charity softball game. It's Golden Knights and the Raiders, Riley Smith. A lot of players you're going to want to see. It's always a fun event at the Las Vegas ballpark. We've got a pair of tickets to get there. 702-876-1340 is the number. Caller number four, you're a winner. You're going to battle for Vegas. Caller number four, 702-876-1340. We're back with more on the VGK Insider Show. This is the VGK Insider Show on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. Now back to Aaron Millard and Ryan Wallace. Putting a bow on hour number one of the VGK Insider Show. Very draft-heavy as the NHL Entry Draft 2022 edition wrapped up today in Montreal. I know a lot of writers, our friend Jesse Granger, talked about how many hot dogs he ate in Montreal. Um, you know, Chapman, I, I got to ask you, like, what is your lasting memory from this draft, having watched the first round yesterday, <laughs> having watched rounds two through seven, I'm very much curious to find out what your what your favorite moment was from the draft. I have one very specific one. Yeah, I'm going to get to it, but I, I want to know I, yours. I'm going to. I know. I know where you're going to go because it's one of my favorite moments too. But I'll, I'll I'll go another place and I'll just go with the uh, the commentators having a good time watching Maverick Lamoureux's parents make out when he was drafted mm-hmm. by the Coyotes. It's like uh, that's uh, a little little much, but okay. <laughs> that that was one of those funny, yeah. like unintentionally funny, and the, the commentators mm-hmm. were like, "Oh, you go, you go." <laughs> yeah, it was it was. Um... It, it was organic, I suppose, and, and that was probably the best part of it. Uh, my favorite, absolute favorite moment from the, the draft was Shane Wright, and, and it was after he's drafted <laughs> by the Seattle Crack, and he's on, he's on the stage, and there's disappointment there, right? Like, you're, you're expecting to go number one to the Montreal Canadiens, and there's reasons why the Montreal Canadiens did not go with Shane Wright, specifically Kirby Doc's. The, the trade that was there and it, it kind of being on the table and, and in the back pocket of the Montreal Canadiens when they decided to go with Uri Slavkovsky at, at number one. Um, but it sucks as a prohibitive favorite to go number one to slide all the way down to fourth. Thankfully, thankfully for Shane Wright, he did not get drafted by the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, instead, it goes to the Seattle Kraken. But I love the fact that Shane Wright on stage after shaking the hands of Kamer, uh, uh, the hand of Commissioner Gary Bettman, puts on his hat, and it is a death stare. He is locked in on the Montreal Canadiens draft table. If I'm a Seattle Kraken fan, oh boy, 
I cannot wait for October. I cannot wait for Shane Wright. I cannot wait for this kid with a chip on his shoulder to get into the NHL because that intensity, that fire was there, and you could already sense how pissed off he was that he didn't go first overall. Yeah, he's going to have a chip on his shoulder, and and you know for the Kraken, maybe that's a good thing because I mean they had a they had a ton of picks in the first two rounds, and you know they 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 have to feel like they got a steal because this was a guy who, for all intents and purposes, was the consensus number one pick for a long, long time leading up to this draft, and he ends up falling to the four. If you're Seattle, you're like, hey, now we're 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 really really happy with this, but. I think he's going to have a chip on his shoulder because you could tell. You could tell he was angry. You could tell he felt burned. You know, they wine and dined him, and they ended up going some some other direction. So I don't blame the kid. And and look, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna be angry, then take it out on. And what's gonna make me laugh is when you know David Perron. When David Perron comes and plays in Vegas, he 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 seems to kick it into a higher gear, like almost like he's still sure. bitter. I don't know why he would be. I mean, he won a Stanley Cup with the Blues, but. He he's got a little bit of bitterness and saltiness in him that they didn't resign him. I kind of got the sense that that's kind of the direction that Shane Wright's going to go when he plays the Montreal Canadiens. Unfortunately, it'll only be twice a year, but still, still be fun, especially if he turns out to be a star and he just lights them up every time they play. Oh, that'd be that'd be so yeah. fantastic. And I'm not going to lie, you look at Seattle, you've got obviously Shane Wright. It'll be interesting to see kind of how he develops. you got Matty Beneers there as well down the middle. So you've got two young centers to kind of build around. And then they drafted perhaps my favorite name on the table in the draft, Jagger Furcus. I, I love it. It's fantastic. It's great stuff. And it might just make the Seattle Kraken that much better next season. Hour number two is coming up next in which we're going to talk about the schedule for the Golden Knights. Uh, penciling in their first win of the season. We'll get to why that is in just a few moments right here on the VGK Insider Show.